this morning, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter whether you've lived for God all of your life, or you just started living for God in the middle of the last song, we're at the end of the last song. This morning, we're going to stir the pot. I'm here this morning to stir the pot. Before I dive off and get myself into trouble, because by the time I get to the end of this, I'm kind of like Brother Chris was this morning. They don't want to hear this because I didn't want to hear this. And, and it's, it seems like, you know, used to, I got to go into the black hole. But now, God is giving me messages that it hurts me whenever I'm getting the message. And so then I know there's going to be some of you that it's going to step on your toes too. Hey, God, I want to, I want to give a, a happy, feel-good. God's like, well, you know, that's fine. You can eat a bag of chips later. Right now, I need you to have something. you got to put on your big boy pants and eat a meal. Before we dive off into that, it's so good to have Aunt Burnell home with us this morning. And where is Sister Pam? I saw, there she is. I saw her come in. It's good to have you with us too. Now normally we use that phrase, stir the pot, in our vernacular to mean to cause trouble. There, there's, and especially in a situation that might potentially be volatile. Somebody is already on edge. A situation is already stewing. And we just have to give them a little poke. You know, we, we just got to poke them just a little bit. And, and we call that stirring the pot. Well, today I'm here to tell you that we all need to learn to stir the pot, but in a different way. And the book of Hebrews actually gives us the impetus to do so. So this morning, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And this is what it says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And, and on, at face value, that sounds like a good and an easy thing. We, we want to, the King James says, to provoke one another to love and good works. But sometimes that can be a little bit uncomfortable. And so this morning I am here to stir your pot and to stir my pot. And together we're going to do some considering because that verse says consider. It's interesting that word consider is the Greek word kanat oio. And it means to behold, to consider, to discover, or to perceive it from Strong's concordance. Thayer's adds an additional bit of, of description to fix one's eyes or mind upon. So let us fix our eyes or fix our mind upon how to stir one another up to good works. This verse lets us know right off the bat a very important, core, and simple truth. We need each other. We can't stir one another up if there's only one of us. It's kind of hard to stir somebody else up if there's only one of you. And so if we were good at stirring ourselves up with no outside help, the world would get a lot more done 
we would be in a lot better position spiritually. But God knew that sometimes we would need a bit of a nudge in order to get us where we need to be. And so he made us to need stirring. But he also made us to do the stirring. Because see, anything that exists for the most part in the spiritual world on the enemy's side of the coin is a corruption of something that God intended for good. God intended for us to be able to provoke one another to good works and to love and to faith, but the enemy has corrupted that into us stirring one another up to trouble and to gossip and to aggravation and to jealousy. But God intended for us to be able to watch one another, to see the state of each other's lives, and to be able to step in and give each other a shake. It's kind of like if you've got a, a buddy that's standing there and, and he's just seen that girl and, and he is overcome. It is love at first sight and he's just kind of slack-jawed and he's just staring and you come up beside him and you hit him in the shoulder and you're like, hey, he's, oh, you know, and he comes to himself. Sometimes we're the same way in that the enemy shows us something, we just kind of go slack-jawed. And we're supposed to be watching for what God is doing in our lives, but we're just kind of fixed on out there in the middle distance. And so God has designed us to come up beside each other and say, hey, w watch what you're doing. Watch where you're going. Understand that sometimes those people who get under our skin and just aggravate the pudding out of us, it's an official phrase. My papa taught me that. Sometimes those people are there on purpose. Sometimes they're there to open our eyes to something in our own personality and our own way of thinking that God needs to work on. We just haven't let him touch that yet. And so sometimes, even outside of the church, God allows those people to come into our lives that just really grate on our nerves so that we will recognize, oh, I got a problem with aggravation or I got a problem with anger or I've got a problem with you fill in the blank. So we have been all of this year, we've been talking about the Beatitudes. We've been talking about freedom. We've been talking about fruits of the Spirit. We've been talking about awakening to who we are in God. We've been talking about speaking Jesus. We've been talking about revival is here and now. And God has been growing us spiritually this year like never before. However, it still remains up to each one of us as individuals to make sure that we are where we need to be in God. Just because the church as a whole is in revival doesn't mean that I am. I can be just as dead and empty as anything and everybody else can be having revival because I'm responsible for my own soul and my own salvation I'm responsible for my own walk with God and so are you so I'm here this morning to stir all of us up to love and good works we've got a lot this year that has gone into our pot and so we can't let the heavier things sink to the bottom and become forgotten. We need our spiritual selves stirred up. And whenever you stir something, 
occasionally it's unpleasant whenever you stir a physical pot of whatever you're cooking whether it's gumbo crawfish whatever you're 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 stirring what was on the bottom gets moved up to be distributed throughout the mixture things that were lying still get shoved around and moved things bump into each other there's friction between the spot the pot and the spoon especially if you've got something that's kind of stuck on the bottom and you got to give it a little little bit of extra elbow grease to get it off the bottom so sometimes in the stirring our fur can get rubbed the wrong way but if it moves us from a place of complacency or idleness into a place where we can once again begin to thrive and grow then it's worth a little discomfort so we're going to start with something that's very fundamental I have used this verse over and over other people have as well about faith hope and love first Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 says so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love say a familiar passage of scripture if you if you've heard a lot of sermons chances are probably at some point you have heard that scripture in there somewhere now let's look at our opening text and the two verses before it and this is this is just really cool verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 10 starts out this way let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith faith hope and love with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works isn't that amazing in one place it's like faith hope and love these are the three most important things and in another place whenever he talks about us being able to provoke each other he takes the exact same thing he being God impressing these men to write these things or possibly the these women we don't know the author of Hebrews some people think it's Paul some people think it may be Priscilla the author isn't identified so Priscilla may have written Hebrews we're not sure Paul wrote Corinthians but God is putting the same theme throughout everything that he's speaking. The Apostolic Study Bible puts forth the idea this way. Faith, hope, and love are not merely psychological constructs. Rather, genuine faith results in us drawing near to God. That's what our faith does, is it pulls us closer to God. That's Hebrews 10 and 22. Genuine hope results in unwavering allegiance to God because we we have that hope that blessed assurance that's Hebrews 20 10 23 and genuine love results in loving deeds performed both for God and for others and that was our opening text Hebrews 10 24 so faith hope and love instructs us to draw near to hold fast and to stir up and things like that that idea in one place and then it coming out in another it really illustrates what David was trying to say in Psalm 119 verses 18 and 19 he said open my eyes to see the miracle wonders hidden in your word 
There's a lot there that's good at face value, but there's so much more that is deeper in the word if you take time to read and to understand. Verse 19, he said, My life on earth is so brief, so tutor me in the ways of your wisdom. There is so much in the Word of God that I don't get if I'm just reading the words on the page to mark it off as I read my Bible for today. And I've marked that box off my checklist. But I can follow David's example and I can pray to God to open my eyes to the wonders hidden in what I am reading. Or, because sometimes that may be the actual physical Bible, sometimes it may be a podcast that I'm listening to or a, a sermon that I'm listening to. And sometimes there were things in that sermon that I heard the words, but it didn't connect with me. And I go back and listen to it later, and all of a sudden God puts two pieces together and the lights come on. And I realize, oh, that's what you were trying to say to me. So I can pray about God revealing the things that I may otherwise miss. And I can ask God himself, verse 19 told us, to tutor or teach me in the ways of his wisdom rather than in the own, my own way that I think it should be done. So in that vein, through a couple of different situations and us going through the Beatitudes, if you haven't been here for first Sunday service and you haven't yet done it, go get the podcast starting in June all the way through till now on the teachings that God has given us on the Beatitudes. And it is amazing and tremendous. But through that and then things that have happened in my own life, God dropped this into my spirit and it hit me just like a ton of bricks. God asked me one day whenever I was upset at somebody else because they weren't doing right. They, they were, I, I knew they knew right and they weren't doing right and I was aggravated. And God said, do you think that just because you don't do that sin that you're okay or that you're better than they are? And my first thought was, well, I'm not like that. And, and God just kind of... See, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm good, right? I, I may not be, be like that, and I do this, so I'm good. I may not be opinionated, judgmental, but at least I'm not, you know, sleeping around with anybody. I, I may have a bit of a, a problem but at least I do and you fill in the blank we make comparisons in our own mind and God's like eh, there's no comparison it doesn't work that way sin is sin and, and whether you classify it as big or little really doesn't matter because I just classify it as a breach in my relationship with you no matter what label you put on it sin is sin and so whenever we ask God to tutor us in his ways of wisdom, we often expect him to roll back the skies and reveal to us some grand truth about the word of God. However, more often than not, when we accept his tutoring, it's more like his teaching reveals our own missteps and illuminates our path so we can see the muck that we're standing in because we've put our feet in the wrong places. I have realized that the person that 
I most vehemently disagree with, whether it's politically, socially, morally, even spiritually, God loves them exactly the same as he loves me. The mercy and grace that he extends to me, he extends to them also, and he expects me to do the same thing without any change. It's not like I have to extend them a lower level of grace and mercy because I'm not God. God doesn't put that anywhere in the Bible. He just said, as you've been forgiven, so forgive. The end. And he says to us, whatever you've done, you come and you ask, and, and I'm going to forgive you because my blood covers everything. And so the forgiveness that we give is got to cover everything with no limitations at all. I'm not on some lofty perch because of my choice to live for him. I'm now more acutely aware of my own sin, that's his intention, so that I can guard against it and I can show the same love and mercy he gave to me while I was in my sin to the people that are still in theirs. Because that's the only way that I found forgiveness was he showed love and mercy to me when I didn't deserve it. That's the only way that they may find a savior is because somebody shows them love and mercy when they don't deserve it. You see, I, I told Brother Chris, I said, I had a whole section of my sermon. Like if you, if you take our opening text and you begin to read after it, especially in the ESV, it parallels so much what he said this morning. And while I was going through my sermon, it was just like God said, you, you don't need to go into all of that. Just, just stick with that. It, it's, it's okay. That's good, but that's not for, for you to speak today. And it was because he already had Chris saying it in another context out of the book of Matthew. So the commitment to live our lives for Christ has to encompass all of our decision-making not just the things that we think of as spiritual. It can't be limited to our vision or our version of what God's will is for my life. If I'm called to be a Sunday school teacher, then I have to be careful in my classroom and in my lesson planning. But on Mondays, I can just try to live my life, you know, the best I can. It's not Sunday, you know? I'm, I'm not on the job. Wrong. Whenever we give ourselves to God, we don't get to decide because you've told me I need to do this. That's all I do. You've given me a job, I'm going to do my job. And that's it. God gets to decide what we do. Limiting what pertains to God to just a segment or a small section of our lives is exactly what keeps us from finding our full purpose in Him. And it's exactly what the enemy wants us to do because it keeps us in our little Jesus box so that we're not nearly as effective out there. I can't just be a musician or an usher or a singer or a hostess or a Sunday school teacher or a sound engineer or a media technician or whatever. And imagine that doing that work, whatever the job is, is all that I have to do. Anything that's inside these walls is a part of what God wants me to do, but I'm a vessel in the hands of the master, and I am a tool in his toolbox. I may have one purpose at 10 a.m. on Sunday, 
but at 2 p.m. on Sunday, he may have something totally different for me to do, and if I'm not allowing him to do it, I may miss the boat. Or somebody else may miss the boat that needs a word from God. So let me give you an example. I've got a lot of different tools at home, some traditional. I've got hammers, I've got screwdrivers. Some that may not, maybe not everybody has, but some people do. I've got different sizes and frames for hacksaws. And some that maybe fewer people have. I've got tools to repair iPhones. Anybody else have those at their house? Just curious, two? Okay. So not everybody has those tools. So a few months ago, I had to work on a sink that was not draining. I had already tried Drano, and Drano wasn't cutting it. It, it wasn't helping at all like I had I had done the Drano left it for 45 minutes flushed it out with hot water nothing and did it again nothing like it just it just would barely seep through like it, it was bad so after taking the pipe apart I had need of a couple of things to finish clearing and cleaning the pipe but I didn't have the exact things that I needed so what I ended up using was the the plastic blade guard off of one of my hacksaws I took the blade guard off because it was a long thin flat edge that still had a little flex in it and then I used a long thin probe from one of my iPhone repair kits to be able because it had a, a pointed end and I was able to get it and hook it has a hook on the end of it and I was able to hook some of the the hair and the things that were in the clog and get them out Neither of those pieces were ever designed for plumbing work. And if they had a mind, they'd never have imagined they'd be put to that use. They might even have been offended that they were being required to get so dirty in their being used. However, I had a need and they fit exactly what I needed for that situation. Are there better other more qualified tools for the job? Absolutely. I just didn't have any of them close at hand in the house. And so the problem came that, in I, that I didn't possess those, so I used what I had on hand. And it worked just as well. The job was completely done. Everything got fixed. The sink drains now. Yay, I didn't have to call a plumber. I was, I was happy. But we are the same as those two pieces of tools. There may be others who are better qualified or better suited in, to a situation in our minds, but we are what he has in his hands at the moment. And the work that he wants to do is wherever we are. And so there's not a single place that I go or you go that there are not hurting people. And all of us have been hurting people. Sometimes we still are hurting people. And so who better to know how to help hurting people than hurting people? God's not asking for perfect people to go help hurting people because perfect people don't exist. He's asking for hurting people to go and help hurting people. We bemoan so often how crazy this world has gotten, how people everywhere are not like they used to be. And we can either see that as some horrible thing that's coming for us and coming for our values, or we can see through his eyes 
that there are a multitude of opportunities every single day that we come in contact with for God to use us to bring light into somebody's life. It used to be really hard to find a person that wasn't just a good moral person. And if you were going to tell somebody about Jesus, chances are they had already heard about Jesus. Now you can go to Walmart and you, the first 15 people that you, you come in contact with may have never stepped foot inside a church ever at all. And God's saying, I love that one and 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 here you are. Let's do something. Let's not just go and get our groceries and come back. How about we walk through Walmart and we pray, God, is there anybody I need to speak to? That person just really stands out to me. God, I pray that you touch them right now. If you need me to speak to them, let them look up and make eye contact with me, and I'll go speak. How about that? Instead of, oh, that person's scary. We better walk over here. How about that person looks like they need a whole lot of the love of Jesus. Maybe if I walk by them, maybe God will give me something to say to them. Even if it's just, hello, how's your day? Bless you. I am so tired of coming to church and seeing empty spots at our altars. I want to see souls set free here. I know God can do it anywhere, and I'm happy for that, but here is somewhere too. And the only way that lost souls can be set free here is if they are here to be set free. And the only way they get here outside of a divine intervention is by us inviting or bringing them here. We should be filling this place up with the hurting people around us instead of just making a commentary on how many hurting people there are around us. And I'm tired of lightly visited altars. The people out there are not the only ones that need help from God. Sometimes I do as well. Sometimes you do as well. We need each other and we need Jesus. And sometimes coming to the altar for the span of three to five minutes may not be enough for what you're going through in your life right now or what I'm going through in my life right now. Sometimes I just need to linger and weep. Sometimes I need to be in the presence of God for just a little bit longer, and that's okay. There will still be food at the restaurant if I'm not the first one that gets there. I promise they have more. And if they don't, you can go to another one, and they'll have some. Whatever pressing issues usually pull me quickly away from the altar can wait until I have everything that I need from God. And if you're in the altar whenever I get done, maybe you need somebody to pray with you and to help you carry your burden. And maybe you're done praying, but I'm still here. And I need somebody to help carry my burden. Maybe we both get done praying and we look around and there's somebody else still in the altar. Let's go pray with them together because we're all in this together. And I'm tired of empty places in our pews and our youth and kids services, our Sunday school classes and our celebrate recovery nights. People sitting in those places could be fed. The Lord could be helping them and working on them and they could also be ministering to me and teaching me things about the kingdom that I need to know. So lots of things that I'm tired of, and maybe you are too. Those things are different things. And whenever I had those thoughts and I wrote that down, I was, I guess, yeah, I mean, that was just, that was what God had rolling in my spirit. And so I was writing it down and I got done 
And the next thing that he gave me was, you're tired of it and what are you doing to change it? Because if you're tired of it, if it's something that's poking and prompting at your spirit, then it's something that I'm trying to move through you to get done. I've let that be something that gets under your skin and irritates you to let you know that that's something that I need you to help do. If you're tired of it, Keith, what are you doing to change it? And maybe I can't change it all on my own, but I can do my part. I can do a little bit. There was a story that, that Brother Briggs told years and years ago about the man that was on a beach. He was an elderly gentleman, and the tide had gone out and there were lots of starfish that were left up on the beach. And he was going through and he was picking up a starfish and he was throwing it back. And he was picking up a starfish and throwing it back. And there were thousands and thousands of starfish on the beach. And some kids came by and like, Mr., what are you doing? You can't, you can't save them all. It, it doesn't matter. He smiled at them. He reached down and picked up one, tossed it back. He said, it mattered for that one mattered for that one mattered for that one too I may not be able to save all of them but this spot right here where I am I can do what I can do right here and it matters for that one I may not can save my entire family in fact I can't save anybody only he can I may not can, can witness and show the love of Jesus to people that have hurt me in my life that in no way deserve it, but I can show love if I will let him move through me to this one and this one and this one. And it matters what we do. It matters for everyone that I engage with, whether they end up coming to church or ever receiving anything out of that or not. We are tools in his hands and the way he wishes to use us may be entirely outside our comfort zone or our scope of what my job is. But he's God. And if I'm really submitting myself to him and saying, let your kingdom come and let your will be done, then he gets to pick how I am used. And I don't get to say, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to go up in that pipe. It's dirty in there. But if God needs me to do that, you see, his purpose goes way beyond the immediacy of today or tomorrow. He is building something in each one of us that goes beyond our own lives into the lives that we touch every single day and the generations that will come after us and every generation after that. I had a pawpaw, Joe Ben, was, that lived during the 1800s. In fact, pawpaw Joe Ben was associated with the, the Confederate soldiers that were still in this area way, way back when he was still part of an organization of Confederate soldiers. He lived in Grant Parish. He had a boy named Joe Ben. I mean, he had a boy named Rudolph. Uncle Papa Joe Ben had a boy named Rudolph. Rudolph lived around the Pollock area. He married Lessie Cox, and they had a son named Ellis. Ellis lived over in the Spring Hill area. He had a son named Bruce. Bruce lived over in the same area, and he had a son named Keith. And then I had Ella and Joel. There are generations that follow us. And from my Papa Joe Ben on, 
we're just normal people. But how many times has somebody come up to me and said, I rode your Papa Ellis's bus and he was so kind and he told me about Jesus and I'm in church today because they never went to his church. He was a bus driver and he spoke Jesus to them and they're in church today just because he had the guts to say, God loves you. Let me tell you about my Jesus. What generations are going to come after you? My Papa Ellis married a lady named Coela Briggs. That family, her daddy was Andrew Jackson, so-called A.J. Briggs. And out of A.J. Briggs's lineage came Coela and Leland. There are people in this room that are here solely because of Leland Briggs. There are people in this room that some of you may never have known Leland Briggs, but this church is here because of Leland and Burnell Briggs. If they hadn't taken this church, it was going to be closed down. There were seven people left whenever they were elected pastors. Seven people, and they were fixing to close the church until Uncle Leland and Aunt Burnell said, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. We feel like God, God's moving on us. And look what we have today because somebody made a decision an uncomfortable decision to forego whatever paycheck they were getting to be able to take a church with seven people. Discomfort in the kingdom of God is not necessarily a bad thing if you're doing the will of God. You're a tool in His hands. Your purpose and your place is part of your destiny and it's part of eternal positioning because you don't know who is sitting next to you at work. You don't know who is working in the next vehicle to you. If you're working in a mechanic shop, if you're, Brother John, on the line and you're going to fix somebody's telephone, there have been so many times that he said, I've gone into this house and we just started talking about Jesus because he's let God use him. But so many times we are happy to talk with people that look like us or that we're comfortable around. But if they disagree with us or they don't look like us, then we feel like that's somebody else's ministry field. And God's saying, no, you're my tool in my hand. And if you're near them, then I can use you to touch them. But you've got to let yourself be used. And so this morning, I am here to stir up some of those things that have been dropped into our spirit, the Beatitudes and the revival and speaking the name of Jesus over impossible situations and freedom to those that are bound. God wants to work those things through us into the world around us, but He can't touch them unless He can get through me and through you. So this morning, if you would with me, stand. The way we're going to end this service is whether you want to come up around the front or whether you want to make an altar at the pew where you've been sitting. I want each one of us to take a few minutes and to first off, repent. I know I, I, know I end a lot of sermons that way, but I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect. And there are times that everything I've said in here has applied to me this week. So the first thing we need to do 
is to repent for not allowing God to use us where he wanted to use us. And then that old song that we sing, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Let that be your prayer this morning. I'm not asking for anything deep. I'm not asking for, for you to make commitments that, that you don't think you can fulfill. All I'm asking is for you to say, God, here I am. This is what I've got. It's nothing. But everything that I am, you can use in any way that you see fit. Because if I've struggled with addiction, chances are I can notice that in people and I can help people that are addicted. If I struggle with depression, I can probably notice that in people and I can hurt pe help people that are being hurt by depression. Whatever my hurts and habits and hang-ups are, God can use those to allow me to touch somebody else's life. And then outside of that, He can also use me to speak to those that I never thought I would have anything to say to. But if He wants me to speak, then God, here I am. So this morning, the rest of the service is yours to all of our visitors. Thank you for being with us. Let's spend some time on our faces before God.